0: I invite you to turn with me your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Romans chapter 12, this is the word of God. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them, if prophecy, let us prophesy, if in pro- in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, Be kindly, affectionate to one another, with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice, Weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be conformed by evil, but overcome evil with good. And our text for this morning is framed in the words of, the, of framed in the words written in verses one and two. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good, and acceptable, and perfect will of God thus far the reading of God's holy word may God add his blessing to the hearing the reading and the preaching of his word again this morning beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ gathered with me here in Bowmanville this morning you have all heard the announcement made by our elder this morning the consistory has exercised Christian discipline towards a wandering member and this wandering member was excluded if you listen carefully the member was excluded from, not only from the, the kingdom, of, from, from the church but from the kingdom of God from the kingdom of heaven without repentance the gates of heaven are closed to this person there were a few verses of scripture from the gospel of John and I read of that woman caught in adultery And Jesus warns that let those who are without sin, that they might cast the first stone. And it was silent because no one dared to cast that first stone because we're all sinful. But it's still a very necessary warning. We tend to look down on those fallen sinners among us. It is so easy for us to pass judgment on others And yet the warning was to us all. And how good it was for us to be warned ourselves because throughout the centuries there has been a tendency in the church of Jesus Christ to conform to the world. Time and time again throughout all of church history instead of the church going out into the world with her gospel of salvation the world has been allowed to creep into the church and the church herself becomes worldly. And although that disappoints us, it ought not to surprise us. On every page of Scripture, we learn that the tendency to go our own way is found not only in the heart of the unconverted, but it is also the inclination of the heart of every child of God. It was already so way back in the days of Enoch and and, and, and Noah. We read in Genesis 6, verse 2, for instance, that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were fair, or if you will, men of God, men of the church, saw that the women of the world were beautiful and desirable, and they took for themselves these fair maidens of the world as wives the commandment of the Lord forbidding Christians to marry non-Christians isn't something that the church just dreamed up a few years ago it's been an abomination to the Lord all throughout church history and and, and so when in the time of Enoch and Noah God's people sought mates outside of their own religion outside of the church wasn't that then an act of the sons of God conforming to the world of course it was Again, in the days of Abraham, we have the same situation. God's people and the world had become one. The distinction between the world and the church had become lost. And finally, God called Abraham to leave his own country and his own family. And God sets him apart from the rest of of mankind. Why? to preserve the seed of the woman, to prevent the world from swallowing up the church, for that is precisely what happens when Christians fail to keep themselves from becoming attached to the people of the world. And on several occasions, God led his own chosen covenant people into Babylonian captivity. Why? Well, as chastisement for conforming to the world. And then again, in the time of the judges, we read that this was a time when there was no king, and everyone, meaning that everyone in the church, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. But it's not only the Old Testament, Israel's history, that tells that sad story of of God's children conforming to the world and of sad consequences, but we find it in the New Testament as well. And 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 even in the, the dark ages of the great Protestant Reformation, those ages testify of it. And even today, we can still say the church is conforming to the world. And if left unchecked, the church will be consumed by the world. People of God, there is an evil force drawing believers from their service to God to the service of the world. And Paul warns the Christians of Rome of this danger. (coughs) And our text warns against being worldly-minded. However, that's only part of the story. That's only the negative side, if you will. There's also a positive side Not only must we watch and warn against conformity to the world, but we must also strive to be Christ-like. And this morning I call your attention to the Word of God as it calls us to be consecrated to God. We want to consider the motive, the obligation, and the means to such consecration. So being consecrated to God, its motive the obligation and the means. People of God, if you can remember that your your catechism days, you will know that the Heidelberg Catechism, if you know it a little bit, you will know that it is divided into three sections. Lord's Day 2 to 4 speak of our sin. Lord's Day 5 through 31 tells us of our salvation in Jesus Christ. And then Lord's Days 32 through to 52, we learn of our, our necessary life of service as, a, as an expression of gratitude for that salvation already received. We heard that this morning in connection with the law. And I'm sure that you would remember having learning learned those divisions from your catechism teacher. But did you also know that that structure of the catechism is modeled after the apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. Paul has divided up his entire letter to the Romans in those same three divisions. In Romans 1 through 3 he explains man's guilt or sin before God. And then chapters 4 through 11 he tells us of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And then beginning in chapter 12, the chapter we have before us this morning, beginning in chapter 12 to the end of the, end of the book, he explains, or the end of the letter, he explains man's obligation of gratitude uh, in a, as an expression of thankfulness for the forgiveness already received. And now if you noticed our text of this morning, I have taken from the first two verses of that chapter where Paul admonishes us to a life of Grateful obedience. You hear it already when he speaks of being consecrated to God. Consecrate. Being consecrated means being set aside. Being set aside for holy service. So that to be consecrated to God means to be devoted to God. And devoted into his service. And the motive for that devotion to God is clearly given us in the first part of our text. Where we hear Paul saying, I beseech you, brethren, therefore... Therefore, by the mercies of God. But in order to better understand, we need to do a little bit of exegesis here. Follow this with exegesis. means biblical interpretation, the science or the art of interpreting. Follow with me. That little word, therefore, here, that little word, therefore, connects our text. It connects our text with the preceding chapters. And as I said, the opening chapters focus on the doctrine of sin and salvation, And then beginning in chapter 12, Paul, so to speak, he switches gears and he admonishes his readers to put their faith into practice. Therefore, says Paul, therefore, since by the mercies of God you have been justified, since by the mercy of God you have new life, since by the mercies of of God you have been saved, therefore, by the mercies of God the Holy Spirit lives in you and therefore now be consecrated to God. Did you catch that? The mercies of God. The reason, the reason why every Christian can and should exert himself to serve the Lord with all of their heart and all of the time is because of the mercy of God. But just what does Paul have in mind when he speaks of the mercies of God? Well, maybe it would help if I rephrase the question to read, why are we Christian?" What does it mean to be a child of God? My dear people, God, you know the answer. To be a child of God implies that in God's sight, we have been made heirs of heaven because we have had all of our sins forgiven. To be a child of God means that God has adopted us as his children. To be a child of God means we have been, we have escaped the wrath of God. To be a child of God means that we have escaped the very jaws of hell. To be a child of God means we have received a new life. To be a child of God means that we have been born again from above. To be a child of God means we are set free from the bondage of sin and Satan. In short, it means in life and in death, in body and soul, we belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours and you are Christ's. Oh, what a glory is ours as Christians. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow because by the mercies of God, by the mercy of God, we belong to Christ. But but, but. But why are we children of God? Well, it certainly isn't because of any merit on our own. No, that can't be. <coughs> by nature, we are prone to hate God and our neighbor. Well, why then? Well, then why? Paul tells us by the mercy of God. Think with me. You, me, are children. All of us, and every one of us, lost and fallen sinners. You, me, everyone, dead in sin and trespass, every single one of us, helpless, hopeless, condemned to an eternity in hell. That's how we come into this world. But God, but God in his mercy gave his only begotten son in order to redeem us from sin and damnation and makes us heirs of heaven, heirs of eternal life. God's redemptive love revealed in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul calls the mercies of God in our text. And that says Paul, that must be the motive for you to live a life consecrated to God. Because of the mercy of God, You now can live for him, says Paul, for you have received a new life at rebirth, regeneration. You now have the Holy Spirit of Christ, says Paul, and being united with him, you receive the strength, the desire, and the ability to dedicate all of your life into the service of God. Scripture tells us, to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But but, but, lest we think we can do that, Paul immediately adds the words, for it is God who works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. In other words, he gives us his spirit and he gives us his word and that's all we need to be consecrated to God. Therefore, says Paul in our text, therefore, having received by the mercy of God the will, and the ability to serve him, let us now also do so. The apostle says, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. And if you listen carefully, you notice that as recipients of the mercy of God, we have a twofold obligation On the one hand, we must present our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. And on the other hand, we must not be conformed to this world. And I could again, I could rephrase that to read that our obligation is to be devoted to God and not to the world. My dear precious people of God, every Sunday... We bask in the glorious sunshine of the face of our risen Lord as the word is preached. And regularly he prepares a table for us in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And the church has properly defined those two things as the means of grace. Because it is through those means that God dispenses his grace to you. But, 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 but make no mistake. The Lord gives us his grace, yes, but he gives us his grace with a purpose. And that purpose is not just to to give us a warm, fuzzy feeling and, and persuade us of being saved someday in the sweet by and by. No, the Lord feeds us with his word and nourishes by at the table in order to motivate us to Christian service. By his mercy God saved us, but he saved us not just so that we can go to heaven and someday in the sweet by and by. No. He has saved us in order in order that we might serve him. The Westminster Catechism asks as its opening salvo, not what is your only comfort in life and death, but what is the chief end of man? Or if you will, what is man's purpose? Why is he here? Why did God even create him? And the answer is then man's purpose, his only purpose is to serve God and as consequence of that to enjoy him forever. So the Lord requires action on your part. He has given you the necessary grace, but now he says to you, now you must present your bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. And notice carefully that he says we are to give our bodies as living sacrifice. In other words, in other words, when the Lord calls us into service, he's not talking about simply, for instance, sacrificing some money for the kingdom he's not simply saying now you demonstrate your Christianity by doing this, that and or the other thing no, that's the easy part we are to serve God with our entire person both our body and our soul, not merely inward devotion of the heart nor even mere external worship as as demanded no, God demands our all God says in 1 Corinthians 6, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. My dear precious saints of God, Paul is simply saying that we are to serve God with all that we are, with all that we have, meaning with our intellect, our speech, our ability to hear, to see, with our will, our mind, our emotions. All that we have and all that we are must be surrendered unconditionally. Our time, our treasure, and our talent, all of it must be surrendered and dedicated to God in a life of service to him. We must use our intellect, for instance, in the study of God's word. We must begin to think his thoughts after him. We must make diligent use of our intellectual powers in the service of our king the mind that discerns the eternal and unseen things, that's the consecrated mind the eye that looks upon immoral movies or pornographic internet sites that that arouses evil and impure desires is certainly not devoted or consecrated to God the lips that profane the name of God do not honor him no, it is the voice that praises and exalts him in prayer and in speech and in song that glorifies him The ear that listens to the siren call of the world is not devoted to God, no. The ear that listens to the voice of the word of God, that's the sanctified one. The will that submits to God's will is the obedient one. The hands and the feet which work only for material things are not surrendered or consecrated to the Lord, no. The hands and the feet that are busy in the vineyards of the Lord, those are the sanctified members, in short, in all that we do, in all that we think, in all that we say, with all that we have, we must seek first the glory of God. By the mercies of God, says Paul. But oh my dear people of God, the danger is that we are so busy with ourselves that we lose sight of the mercies of God and we begin to forget God and we do not bring the necessary sacrifice Especially young people, you know precisely what I mean. We need to set a watch at the door of our lips. We must guard the gates of our souls. There are so many things, young people, there are so many things out there, especially for you, which can hinder your service of God. Think of the entertainment, the movies, the parties, the drugs, the alcohol, the wrong use of the internet, pornography. It's all available to you, readily available to you. And all of those things are Satan's instruments to to lure you, to seduce you, to suck you in, and to take you away from the necessary service to the Lord. Our minds and our bodies must be consecrated to God. Our sacrifice must be a living, a holy, and acceptable one. You see, the child of God possesses a spiritual life, and so he can bring a living sacrifice only if he offers himself. And so Paul stresses that our whole life, all of our living, young people and old people, our whole life may not merely be an external act of worship. Our Christian living needs to be more, much, much, much more than simply going to church and or catechism or, or Christian schools. Our Christian life must be a, a mental and a spiritual consecration of our entire selves. God wants our hearts. God wants our minds, God wants our bodies, God demands our all. He says, my son, my daughter, my child, give me your heart. And throughout all of church history, it has been difficult to maintain that biblical balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. And now our text speaks clearly of the mercies of God being the motive for service. And and those mercies, they're, they're gifts from God. And without them, we could not serve him. We could not consecrate ourselves. But notice with me also that the text now says, be not conformed, but be transformed. Or if you will, you be transformed. In other words, we may not just sit back on our laurels and say, the Lord must do it all. It's true that the Lord gives us the will and the strength and the ability, but as his children, then God, once he does that, he calls you to action. Paul warns us that we must not be conformed to this world or this age. Oh, indeed, Paul is talking about the spirit of his age there in Rome at that time, but there is essentially no difference between that age and any other age. You see, when Paul speaks of the world, he's not referring to the material world, but to the world of human society apart from God. Paul is speaking about the secular age of idolatry, the age of sensuality, the age of pleasure-loving, the age of superstition, the age of immorality, cruelty, and despair. Paul is talking about the the kingdom of darkness. Paul is talking about the kingdom of darkness of which Satan is said to be the, the prince He's speaking of the unbelieving unchristian population as distinguished from the people of God. The world, says Paul, it's ruled by Satan. It has its laws, its manners, and its customs, which are determined by Satan and his followers. And it has a terrible, tragic ending. And no child of God should desire to share in anything that the world has to offer. but but my dear people of God our age is essentially no different from the one that the Roman Christians knew our age as well as well as one of lawlessness and immorality and superstition and pleasure loving and godlessness and dark despair the world can never amount to anything worthwhile. it is built upon a foundation which is corrupt it cannot endure it is bound to be destroyed for it is an, an, an enemy of God And now our obligation is to see to it that we are not conformed to this world, meaning that both inwardly and outwardly we are to be governed by a different principle from the world. It must be clear to the world that we march to a different drummer. In fact, they must see that we do not even march in the same parade with them because, because, because... We serve a different God from them. We may not identify with them. We must not have a worldly spirit. We we may not have a spirit occupied with and and interested in worldly things. We must never allow ourselves to be governed by the laws and the manners of the world. There is to be no conforming to its sinful and prevalent practices. In short, we may not be worldly-minded, the world does not ask what is right or what is wrong, what is agreeable or pleasing to God. No, the world is guided by its own selfish, sinful principles. <clears throat> the world asks, what does public opinion approve of or disapprove of? And the world loves sin and practices, sinful practices, And then the world makes those things acceptable and lawful in the land. And you can see that happening all around us in our culture. And especially if you follow our own uh, uh, federal government. You may not be like that, says Paul. You may not approve of such a spirit, says Paul. You need to be radically different from them. Instead of being conformed to this age, you must be transformed. Transformed. That is, you must be just the opposite of being conformed. In, in this world, Christians must be seen as, they must be seen as square pegs in round holes. They just, they just don't fit. Our manner of living, our thinking, our speaking, our actions must be patterned after that of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We must be followers of God. We must be Christ-like. The image of God must be seen in us. And it's a lifelong process, but our our constant aim and effort must be obedience to God. His law must be our standard for our life of gratitude. No one can be a friend of God and a friend of the world. We are either a friend of God or we are an enemy of God. No one can serve two masters. If we are conformed to this world, we certainly have no eye for the mercies of God. If our lives are not radically different from those who are still in and of the world, then we have no right to say we are the Lord's. Only those in Jesus Christ are saved by the mercies of God, and those saved by God are called by God to strive to meet their obligations. How? Well, the text points us the way. By the renewing of your mind by the renewing of your mind that you might know that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What must we do to be consecrated to God? Certainly not a mere external change will do. No, it's not a question of simple uh, behavior. It's not a question of simply behavior modification or simply behaving Christianly. No outward measure or, of, of, of reformation will do only a radical inward change can transform the whole life of man and that change is brought about by the Holy Spirit. We call it regeneration or if you will, rebirth. But, but, but now follow carefully with me. Paul is writing and speaking to those who already possess that new life. In chapter 1, Paul identifies his, authors, his audience, his readers, as saints called by God, whose faith is well-known around the world. So then, those to whom Paul is writing already possess that new life in Christ. In other words, Paul is speaking to those who are already Christians. They are already born again, and so obviously, then, when the apostle says, "By the re- renewing of your mind," he is not calling them to to be reborn or regenerated. The human, the Roman Christians, could not do that, nor did they need to, because they were already born again from above. Paul is not referring to rebirth, but to the development, the growth, the new life that they already possess. Paul is speaking not about regeneration but of sanctification, holiness. It says the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, they were, to put, they were to put to death the old nature and to put on more and more, put on the new nature they had become in Christ. And now I can almost hear you forming the question, how do we do that? And in the context of God's sovereignty, can we do that? And Paul's answer would be most certainly, absolutely. Indeed, God alone can cause our faith to grow. But in that process, we are not allowed to be passive. We must do our duty. We are commanded to earnestly seek the guidance of the Spirit. We are commanded to willingly follow His leading and, and not to grieve Him. We must use the grace and the means which the Lord has given us. You know what that means. It calls us, for instance, to be for, for a consistent and a fervent life of prayer. If you do not seek intimate fellowship with God in prayer, then do not expect spiritual growth. Consecration to God requires also that we seek fellowship with the people of God. One who shuns the fellowship of the saints, one who begins to care less and less about the worship <laughs> services in the church, will, as a rule begin to seek the companionship of the world. We've heard some of that this morning. The means of grace must not be neglected. Both the word and the holy sacraments have been given us to strengthen our faith and for the growth of our spiritual life. Both are provided for you. So to that end in this place, and if your new life is to prosper, you dare not leave your pew unattended on Sundays If your new life is to prosper, you need the spiritual food which the means of grace supply for you each Lord's Day again. Consecration to God requires faithfulness in our use and our study of the word. It requires our faithful and regular attendance at the divine worship services and it requires a diligent exercise in the almost forgotten art of meditating on the precious word of God. Then finally, the purpose and the result of the renewing of our mind we find in the last part of our text. We read that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And now it all begins to fit. Through preaching, prayer, and searching the scriptures, we come to know our Bibles. And the result will be that we will then know what the perfect will of God is. We will know what is acceptable to him and we will begin to apply that revealed will of God to every area of our lives. That's what Paul had in mind when he urged the Roman Christians and us here in Bowmanville along with them to be consecrated to God. The will of God is called acceptable and perfect and our knowing it spurs us on to doing it. We need look for no additional revelation. It is all sufficient. The purpose and the result then. Of the renewing of our mind. Of which the text speaks. Are that we should know. We should delight in. And we should practice. Whatever God has revealed in his will for man. And in so doing. We will be concentrating. Consecrating our lives to God. My dear precious saints of God here in Bowmanville. This morning we sat under the discipline of the word preached. God has dispensed his grace to you in that preaching if you will but receive it. And then regularly on the appointed days we participate in the elements of the sacrament and by doing so we testify that we know ourselves to have been bought with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. We confess at the table that we know ourselves to belong in body and soul and life and death to our faithful Savior Jesus Christ. And this morning we've been reminded that we had that only comfort only because of the mercy of God. But, 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 we may not only accept and rejoice in the blessing and the privilege we have in Christ, we must also accept the responsibilities we have in Christ. We must know ourselves to be using the grace of God given by his mercy to live a life of service to God. Let us now dedicate and consecrate ourselves to God. Let us now go back out into this world using the grace we have received even today to be transformed by the renewing of our minds and to be wholly consecrated to God. Shall we pray? Father, it is the prayer of each of us. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my intellect and use every power as thou shalt choose. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself, and I will be ever, only, all for thee.